welcome to church. Uh, really, we are honored that you guys are here spending your weekend with us, and we are kicking off a brand new series today, um, and uh, it's called Devotions, and we'll kind of dive into that here in just a second. Uh, I- I'll tell you this, if you started coming to church uh, over the last eight weeks, you, every single Sunday that you came here, there was, there was a lot happening. Like, there was a lot of content, uh, pretty philosophical, and, uh, and I think there's a time and a season for that. I think it grew the church. I think it grew us uh, mentally, but also helped us, stretched us, and uh, cultural apologetic, which I think is really important. Um, this series is not going to be like that. So it's going to be uh, a little bit easier to, to retain, uh, easier to grasp onto. And I think both of those things, both types of these series, are really beneficial. Um, I, I think simply, like, the, the big idea of the Devotions Message series is that we will learn how to read the Bible that we will learn how to not just read it, but how to apply it and how for it to, to change our life. So we're really excited about that. I think Bible reading is, is critical uh, to the life of a believer. Uh, another thing that I think is critical to the life of a believer is prayer. Prayer um, is not flashy. Like, and that's one of my favorite things about prayer. In a world that, that is infatuated with flash, some of the most fundamental things are what actually moves the ball forward, what, what changes and transforms our life. And I think prayer is one of those things. Um, at Northwood, uh, we believe that we're called to create uh, environments of prayer. And we, that ha- takes place in groups. That takes place in services where we'll have times where we just pray. But the first Wednesday of every month, we dedicate strictly to a service that lasts one hour, starts at 6.30 until 7.30, and it's where we come together as the body of Christ and we pray. Um, So this is my personal invitation to you as pastor of Northwood Church here in Long Beach uh, to come out and be part of a prayer service with us. Um, There's no child care, um, and that's that's up to you. If you bring your kids, uh, I learned how to pray by being in prayer services with my parents when I had no clue what was going on. I remember, I remember times sitting in pews and looking at my parents and like with this, this wonder in my mind of what's going on, like seeing them extend their hands to heaven and worship and declaring truth and those types of things. Um, even if your kids um, don't understand, um, I think it's a good environment for them to be in. Uh, I genuinely believe that uh, the next generation is, is the current generation and uh, we're building a church that continues to bridge the gap, but also um, utilizes the strengths of every single generation. So anyway, you're invited to prayer this Wednesday night at 6.30. I think it's going to be a good time. Like I said, devotions is the message series that we are in. And it's really, really simple in concept. What we are doing is we are taking the one-year Bible readings from the week, and I'll kind of explain that to you here in a moment. We are taking the one-year Bible readings from the week, and as communicators, as pastors, we're looking at those seven days of readings, and we are asking God to reveal truth to us in it. We're using some biblical study tools uh, to help us mine out a message out of that week's reading, and then we are presenting that reading to our, that that message to you on Sunday morning. So, um, this Sunday's message is a byproduct of last week's one-year Bible readings. And the goal of this is for us to kind of walk through some, some Bible readings together, but to learn how to properly interpret the Bible, 
um, to observe things in the Word of God, and then to apply them to our life. We've kind of written down a goal for this series, and what it is is, is the goal of this series is to grow in our ability as individuals. Not just, not, this is not a me thing, this is an us thing, a we thing, but it's for us to grow in our ability to explore Explore the word of God. Something like explore. That sounds fun. Yeah, the Bible actually came. It's like it's not mundane and boring. I promised you, but to explore and actually to apply the word of God to our lives. There's a lot of different tools. Uh, there's a lot of different methods out there, and today is going to be pretty introductory to this message series. So. Half of this message is going to be resourcing you with tools and just educating you a little bit on, on different things available to you uh, to study the Bible. And then the second part of the message today is going to be out of Ephesians 4, out of the one-year Bible reading. And um, even in prepping for this, I'm like, wow, this is, this is really sweet. Hebrews 4 talks to us about the Bible. It talks about the value of it and what it can do in our lives. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says the word of God is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible is the all-time greatest selling book. And all, it's not a New York Times bestseller. It is the bestseller. Liter literally, it is the bestseller. And I believe it is the bestseller because it does something as a book, as a work of literature that no other books do. It's alive. It's active. And it's, it's activated in the lives and hearts of Christians. It changes our lives, and we'll talk about that and how that actually takes place. I think oftentimes as Christians, we really desire the benefits of the Bible, but for a variety of reasons, we never experience the benefits of the Bible. And some of those reasons are simply because, uh, like I'm not going to say, I'm, yeah, I'll just say it. Sometimes we're just a little lazy, just a little, just a little. Uh, sometimes we don't know how. I remember the first time I really tried to start reading the Bible, and it was remarkably confusing. Like, like especially when we're talking about the one-year Bible, like what we're doing, when you start diving into Leviticus, like, I'm out. I mean, we're talking about scabs and sores, and like, it's like, <laughs> this is active and alive. Thank you for the Bible. You know, it's like, what's going on here? But knowing how to and where to go to actually learn about the Word of God is critical. In 2 Timothy, it also talks about the Bible. And it says that every bit of Scripture, all Scripture, is breathed out by God. That is a remarkable phrase right there. The breath of God appears in a few different spots in the Bible. And according to the Bible, it says that the actual Scripture, the Bible, what we have as the Word of God is God-breathed. God spoken. Maybe that same breath that God breathed into a pile of dirt and created mankind is the same breath that activates the word of God and speaks to us today. It says that all scripture is breathed out by God. And this is what it does. It's profitable for teaching, for teaching, for educating us, for reproof, 
for correction. We like certain parts of this, and then there's some parts we don't like. For correction and for training in righteousness. And this is the reason that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every single good work. Again, right here, we're like, I like that. I want that. That's good. But for whatever reason, sometimes we find ourselves without the desire or the drive to go get that. And I think it's for a variety of reasons, but one of the goals in this message series is to stir up wonder and this explorer spirit when it comes to the Word of God. Like, think about something that like you're really passionate about, something that you really enjoy um, knowing about or, or learning about. Like, what is maybe a hobby or something like that? Like, I think about a few things that I... I really enjoy, I'm like shelving the Bible for a second, just something personally that you enjoy. I, I like sports a lot, but there's a few sports teams that I really enjoy, and like I research them. I know about them. I follow them on social media. I attempt to watch their games. Like I study them, and it's this, I like to learn more about them. One of those things, you've been around here any amount of time, you know that I am a Chiefs fan. I'm not going to jump on that. I said it last week, and they got beat, so... I'm reverse engineering these thoughts now. We're going to lose tonight to Tampa Bay. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> okay. I'm sure that's how God works, right? <laughs> but with Kansas City, like, I was so, part of it's just my roots. It's where I'm from. It's where I was born. But then there's just deep parts of me that enjoys it. Like I said, I follow different players. Like, I'm the guy that DMs the different players after bad games, and I try to encourage them. So, like, I, I DM'd Chris Jones last week. He said some bad words on the field and got a penalty. I said, hey, man, praying for you. You know, let's try to avoid that stuff. He never <laughs> looks at these things. Like, <laughs> I was so convinced we were going to the Super Bowl last year that I invested in uh, some memorabilia because I was going to host the best Super Bowl party ever. So, um, against, <laughs> against, against some uh, instruction from my family, even my wife, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to buy a few helmets that are autographed by different players. So I started getting these, and I, I now have seven. And they're in cases. And I was so convinced that we were going to beat Cincinnati last year that I bought the helmets. I had them stacked up. I had flags. I had jerseys. Um, and, and, like, I've explored every bit of the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Kansas City Chiefs failed me. There is this spirit of exploration and wonder that is inside of every single one of us. And sometimes we're like, well, that's not my personality, whatever. But the truth is, what you feed, you become enamored by. What you begin to dive into begins to become part of who you are, and you become more and more infatuated with it. Unlike your favorite football team, unlike that hobby of yours, the promise is when you dive into the word of God and explore it, it will not return void. It's true to its promise every single time. It will actually accomplish what it's already said it will accomplish. So what we're attempting to do 
is give you the tools to actually explore and use the Bible. For some of you, this is old news. For some of you, you're going to be like, this is amazing. But I'm just going to go through a few different tools that are available to you. They're simply called Bible study tools. One of those is what we're actually using right now. It's the one-year Bible. And uh, we are subscribing. You can go in a lot of different ways. You're like, wow, look at all these things. Um, The one-year Bible, we are using the Tyndale plan. And it's important that you know that because if you subscribe to the one-year Bible right now, it's going to start you right at Genesis. It's giving you a head start. But we are actually in, we're picking up in the October references. If you follow us on social media, uh, you will see every single week, actually this morning we posted next week's readings. So you can go onto Facebook or Instagram and you can see what this next week's readings are. And for those seven days of readings, next week message is going to be from those. But what it is, is if you follow these daily readings, uh, you will read through the entire Bible in one year. I do like the way that they break it up. They put a little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of New Testament, and some Psalms and Proverbs in there together so you don't just get buried in Leviticus and say, I'm out. You know, like, like there's hope in the New Testament because we don't understand. But actually, you'll start to see how there's some beautiful cross-references in there. But the one-year Bible is one of those things that are available to you. There's also things called concordances. And this is for, and you see it on there, but it's actually for word studies. Sometimes there's things that you read or words that we see, and we don't know exactly what it means. Concordances are going to do this for you on certain word studies. It's going to give you definitions of words. A lot of times we have ideas of what certain words actually mean, and then we realize that in the day or the age that it was written, it actually had a completely different meaning. Uh, one of the most easy words to talk about is when what we use in the English language as the word love. Uh, the word love, and you see love in the Bible in a variety of ways, not knowing that the word love, actually there's five different words in the Greek for the word love. And each one means something different. Like one speaks about like a fatherly love. One speaks about a, a friend type of love. One speaks about like an intimate type of love. One speaks about like a different type of love. One speaks about a God type of love to us. But when we see the word love, we're like, okay, I love. I love the Kansas City Chiefs. It's a different type of love. But concordances are going to actually give you definitions. Um, That's where you see like what it was in the original language, oftentimes Greek or Hebrew. You're going to see what those types of things. But then a beautiful thing about a concordance is you see where a certain word is used in Scripture all throughout the Bible. You'll be amazed at how many times certain words are emphasized in the Word of God, but it shows you the verses that they're in. So that's what a concordance is. And then there are things, if you've got like a paper Bible, but even on your Bibles on your phones, there are these little numbers that pop up when you're reading a verse or like a little letter that says A. Have you you guys ever seen that stuff when you're reading and there's like a number or a letter? If you're in your phone, you can oftentimes push that button. Or if you're on your Bible, in your paper Bible, you got to go look. Okay, A says 2 Thessalonians 2, but you're in the book of Matthew. It's like, what is going on? These are called cross-references. There's a lot of different people that have come up with different numbers, but it seems like there's a firm belief that there's 63,000 cross-references in the Bible. This is what that is. That doesn't mean that that's how many times the crosses talked about. We had to bring clarity to that. But what that means is if you're reading something in the Old Testament, 
there is either a reference to that, a mention of, or a direct correlation between that and another verse in the Bible. There are no times that the Bible argues itself. In fact, in the Word of God with the cross references, there's 63, roughly 63,000 self-authentication references. This agrees with that, and it's written over thousands of years of time. Cross-references are great study tools for you. Um, commentaries, and I'll talk about that here in just a little bit, um, but that, that's really helpful for different interpretations and those types of things, but it gives you a different angle. Sometimes uh, I'm sharing something in the Bible or I'm talk, having a conversation with one of you, and you say, you know, this is kind of what I'm seeing in the Bible. You're essentially giving your commentary for the Scripture. Um, there are so many commentaries out there now that give different lenses and angles to the same verses. Um, there's also Bible summaries, which is really simple to explain. It's, it's giving a summary of the context of what's going on in the Scripture. Um, I'll show you that today, but you can do those in study Bibles. Um, you can do those in... Uh, there's a lot of great web tools out there. There's, there's something called the Bible Project on YouTube that has so many summaries. It says, hey, this is what's going on in the land today. Today, when we get into Ephesians, I'm going to share a little bit of context, but it's simply a summary from a different one of these resources. Uh, and there are a, a ton of websites. You've got the biblehub.com. You've got esv.org. You see all these on the screen. Um, I'd encourage you just to, like take a picture of that. I'll highlight a couple of these. version is a great uh, Bible. It's kind of like a mixture between Bible and social media. Um, a lot of you are on that, and there's some great features on there. The Bible app for kids is really helpful if you've got young kids. Like, it's a little too complicated to go to the actual Bible app and try to explain or just read. Like, the interest isn't there. Uh, the same makers of Version Bible app have made a Bible app for kids. It's interactive. It's kind of got games built into it, but it's teaching the Bible stories throughout. I'd encourage you uh, to dive into that. Some of you have asked me what software I use or the pastors use um, in message prep and oftentimes study. I use Logos Bible software. Um, what that is, it's kind of a, a big library of different resources that we've all just talked about. Those are a lot of different things that are out there, but I would encourage you to just begin to to dive into some of those things. I'll show you in just a second how one of those kind of look. But when we're reading our Bible, I want, to, I want to help frame up some thoughts for you of how we should actually read it. And I think these are really important. But if we come away with, with these three points today in regards to reading the Bible, I think we're well on our way uh, to growing in devotion. It's three questions to ask while we're reading the Bible. And again, I think these are really important to go in the right order. Um, I think if we do these in the wrong order, we're going to read the Bible wrong. And the Bible becomes all about me. And that's really not the central theme of the Bible. Uh, and that, that, that kind of hurts our feelings a little bit. <laughs> but the Bible really has very little to do with us. First question to ask when reading the Bible is this. What do I learn about God based on these scriptures? It's straight observation mode. It's, I'm reading this scripture, and what am I observing about God? What do I see about him? What are the characteristics that are about him? What are being revealed to me through the word of God? Um, last week, if you were here, 
You heard Aaron Vogel share, and it was like making God really big. Um, spoiler alert for you, the Bible is not about you. And that's, that's tough, but what does the Bible say? What is this scripture revealing about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit? Like, like what are his characteristics, his nature? Like, what am I observing about God? Start with reading the Bible, observing about God, not about yourself. The second question to do or uh, to observe is what do I learn about people? What am I observing about people in the word of God? What am I observing about the way people interact, the way people think? Uh, what do I learn just about humanity, about me, about others? What am I learning when I read the Bible about the people that I live with? What do I learn about myself and others? It's also a good spot to say, do I identify with any people in the, in the Bible? I'd encourage you never make yourself the hero of the story in the Bible, but you can always draw from the heroes of the story. Oftentimes in the Bible, you are not the hero, but you can still take aspects away from that person. Think about David in the Bible. You are not David slaying the giants. You are the fearful brothers hiding from the giants. But, so I mean, yeah, a lot of times we've got a David slaying giant complex. We're like, that's who I am? When No, God Jesus is the one that slayed the giant. But we can read and take away from David some beautiful aspects of who he is, some tough aspects of who he is, and apply them to our lives. We can acknowledge that we can be like David and waking up, I said it a few weeks ago, waking up not thinking that we were going to slay a giant today. David simply woke up that morning and said, I'm going to honor my dad today. I'm going to go bring bread. I'm going to bring some food. I'm going to bring what I got and give it to him. We can take that away from David. We can also take away some of David's failures. What do we observe about people? He made some bad choices. We're very similar to David in those. So you're not the hero, but you can apply and take away from people in the Bible. The third question is this. What does God want me to do based on what I'm reading? What does God want me to do? This is where you apply what's being read. It's the application part. Anytime you read the Bible, I think it'd be appropriate at the end of it to say, is there anything that God wants me to do according to this passage? And it can be a lot of different things. Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an example to follow? Is there a command that I need to obey? What is the scripture teaching me? So the three questions, what do I learn about God? What do I learn about people? And what does God want me to do? Very quickly, I'm going to show you just a, a brief thing out of the book of Ephesians. Using, um, I'll kind of show you how we got there, actually. Uh, where I'm going to show you a video of one of these resources Bible Hub, and I'll just kind of um, commentate. So if you want to play that, it's a simple website, BibleHub.com. I'm going to commentate, go into Ephesians chapter, got to find Ephesians, and then I get to Ephesians chapter 4, which is the scriptures we're going to be reading. Got a lot of different translations, but there's verse 17 and a bunch of different translations. On the far right, where my cursor is, you see the context. Gives me a little bit of history there, a lot of different 
resources, commentaries, concordances. This is one of those things we're just looking at every single word, Greek, Hebrew. It's showing it laid out in different versions. And then some commentaries, different people that you can subscribe to. I clicked on one of those commentaries. It's Calvin's commentary. And it goes one through six, verse by verse. And it says, this is what each word is being said. I'm like, what does that mean in Ephesians? What is Ephesus? You click on there, gives you a little bit of history about Ephesus, what it's looking like, what's going on in Ephesus, where else in the Bible is this city Ephesus or this community Ephesus at. It's all over on BibleHub.com. But through that brief search, not just now, but on Tuesday when we were doing this, we looked at a little bit of context for Ephesians which is the scripture that we'll just share at, and we'll be done here in 10 to 15 minutes. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be, and we learn through a little bit of study like that, the author of Ephesians is a man named Paul. If you've been around church for any amount of time, you'd see that Paul is a big-time writer in the New Testament. He wrote about 70% of the New Testament. It was written in A.D. 62. This is roughly 30 years after Jesus has left the scene. A couple other fun things, maybe not fun to him, but interesting facts for you to know, is Paul is actually writing this while he's imprisoned in Rome. He's in prison, he's in a cell, and he writes this book. He also writes, the, well, there were letters back then. He writes this letter to the Ephesians, to Ephesus. He writes uh, the, the book or the letter Colossians, and he writes the letter uh, uh, Philemon, at the same time in this one prison stint. So Paul is busy writing during his imprisonment right here. Studying about Ephesus, you'll see on the screens, this is kind of some of the culture that was taking place. Ephesus was a really rich city. It was a port city. It was a Roman province of Asia, which is today, it's Turkey. It was a center of learning and was near several key land routes for trade. The city was also world famous for its massive temple dedicated to the Greek goddess Artemis. Uh, in the Ro to the Romans, that was Diana. Uh, she was the goddess of chastity, but also fertility and childbirth. Paul's purpose when he was writing the book or the letter Ephesians was to offer instruction in the truths of God's redemptive work in Christ. He's writing to the church. Uh, he's encouraging the unity of the church among a bunch of diverse people. Like being a wealthy port city means you got a lot of different people coming from a lot of different cultural backgrounds. Similar to a military community, kind of like what we've got, is people from all over the world, and Paul is writing a letter of unity, um, but also about proper conduct in the church and in the home and in the world. Like he's just saying, this is how you act if you've decided to follow Jesus. So Ephesians chapter 4 says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Remember, Paul's writing this from a prison cell. He's saying, guys, you can't walk or act anymore like you did before you surrendered your life to Jesus. You can't live like the Gentiles do, people that don't know Jesus says, in the futility of their minds, just in the pointlessness of their minds. 
says they are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Like, wow, shots fired. He's going after people. But he clarifies. He says the ignorance that's in them because of the hardness of their heart. Because their heart hasn't been softened. It hasn't been transformed. It hasn't been surrendered to Jesus. He says they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. They're greedy to practice every single kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. So he's almost painting a picture of, hey, this is what some of the life looks like, but don't forget what you learned in Christ. These are two, they look very, very different. And then he says, well, yeah, assuming, assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him and the truth that is in Jesus. So right there, let's just observe for just a minute. He says, as the truth is in Jesus. That's just straight up observation, not applying a thing. We can see where truth actually is. Some are like, I never saw that. Some are like, of course, that's right there. This is just the word of God. It says, as the truth is in Jesus. So then the instruction begins to come. It says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires. He says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is one of the days of the one-year Bible reading. So we read it, and if you were taking your 15, 20 minutes to read this in the morning or whenever you have time to read the Bible. Uh, by the way, you can read the Bible by letting it read to you now, um, which is an incredible tool. Just click the little microphone button on the Bible, and it reads to you. You can even pick the voice, and uh, you can say how fast they talk or how slow they talk. You can make, this is it, you know, like that, or you can go two times speed if you can really capture a lot of stuff. But if I were sitting down just reading this now, I would read through it all one time and I would start to underline certain words. I would start to highlight things like the Gentiles are, are darkened in their understanding. And they're darkened in their own understanding because they've been alienated from the life of God. Because of the ignorance in them, because of the hardness of their hearts, so they are missing God's intention for people because they are rejecting the truth that is in Jesus. Reading through all of these things, I start to ask myself or we start to ask ourselves, what do we learn about God in this? Remember, we're quick to apply, but let's, let's, let's tie our hands behind our back. We can't do anything right now. What do we learn about God. Just a, a very easy observation is if, if God is breathing out instruction in the Word of God through Paul right here, then I think any time that he is communicating to people, he's passionate about what he's communicating. It's not flippant. It's not just like, hey, take it or leave it. Like God is instructing 
the church in Ephesus. He's instructing us today, and he's spending a lot of time talking about the way that we live. Like, it's not just a bunch of high and lofty and and thinking stuff. He's like, the way that you act is really important. One thing that we can observe directly from God is that God cares about the way that we live. And there there is a way to live, and there is a way not to live. And he is speaking to the church right here, I think, an easy way to, well, maybe not an easy way to say it, but a summary way to say it, what do I learn about God, is that God's way of living is a way of life. Like it's not just a Sunday morning attendance, it's an actual way of life. It's the truth. It's the right way. It's righteousness and holiness. All of those things summarize ultimately reflect God's nature, which is what we're called to do as Christians. So God is deeply concerned about the way that we live, and he's instructing us on how a follower of his is going to live. Next question, what do we learn about people? What is something that we observe about people through just that text? (laughs) Well, Let's think about it. Let's think about it. If we are observing what the scriptures say, it says that those apart from God, that their hearts are hardened, that they're darkened from truth. Have you ever tried to navigate a room um, that's completely dark? If you're familiar with it, you can do it. But if you're not, it's dangerous. Last night, yesterday, was, was one of those days that I didn't have a whole lot of things happening on a Saturday. It was pretty amazing. I cleaned my garage for six hours, you know, put a TV out in the garage just so I could watch football and then put it back in my room. Like, yeah, just one of those days. I also decided at about 7 o'clock last night to rearrange my bedroom. What? That's just, that's just what I do. Come to my house one week and the next week come back and it'll be different. That's, that's me. How many of that, that terrifies you? <laughs> Nobody? Oh, we're all like that. Cool. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, I scared you. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I rearranged my room last night. When I say rearranged, like I really rearranged. Like nothing is where it was, which is awesome <laughs> until the middle of the night when you wake up. And, uh, you know, there was a season of my life when I was a little bit younger that I never woke up at night and just, I could hold everything until the morning, but everybody laughing knows, you old, you old. (laughs) Anyway, I don't have that luxury anymore. So, woke up, and uh, honestly, I rolled out of bed, and what did, where did I go? Where did I go? I walked straight out the hallway. Like, I walked, and I, this is no joke, I opened the door, and I found myself looking in the pantry, and I thought to myself, what am I, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do what I was going to do in the pantry. <laughs> kind of woke up, and I ended up doing what I needed to do, how I needed to do it, but all that happened, I would have never had that problem if all the lights were on. 
I would have never had that problem if I was familiar with that. What do we learn about people in the scripture? Is that if our eyes or our hearts are darkened to Christ, I'm going to tell you this, the word of God is not going to make sense to you. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, you've got a historical reference but it's not going to be helpful for you in transforming your life. If you have not surrendered your life to Christ and you are simply trying to apply biblical principles, you are missing the entire part of the word of God that's transformative. What else do I learn? Is the more that I'm in it, the more that I'm familiar with it, it's going to make a bigger difference in my life. The more familiar I am with that, it's going to change my life. What else do we learn about God? What else do we learn about people is this, when we reject his way of living, when we reject the way of God, we're left to the futility, which is the pointlessness, the aimlessness, the wandering in darkness of our own minds, which ultimately alienates us from God. So now that we've learned about God, we've observed about people, now is the appropriate time to say, So what does God actually want me to do? What do I do in response to what I've read? You'll see on the screens that we're instructed to put off old, corrupt living, which obeys our deceitful desires, the hardened heart desires, the darkened desires. And we're supposed to let our minds be renewed from futile thinking to God's way of thinking, which is full of true righteousness and holiness. So the very next day of Bible reading and the very next moment that Paul has written from a prison cell, Paul begins to explain what the God life practically looks like in the next few verses. So all I'm going to ask you to do is simply let the word of God speak to you today. And this can happen every morning, guys. You don't have to wait for God to transform your life till Sunday morning at 10.38. Oh, it can happen at 6.30 in the morning. What is the word of God challenging you today to say? Paul writes, God speaks. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth. This might be a spot where God begins to convict. Maybe there's been some error in your speech, some falsehoods, some lying that's taken place. He says, speak the truth with his neighbor because we're members of one another. We're in this thing together. He says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Like, let's resolve these things these anger points. Let's not let it become a wedge in relationships. It says, give no opportunity for the devil. By the way, anger is an opportunity for the devil, but give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. Maybe God's speaking to you. Other translations there say, Let the thief no longer pilfer. I didn't know what pilfer meant. Do any of you? (laughs) Cool. I used a Bible study tool. (laughs) 
one of those little clicks, and it said, this is what pilfering is, small amounts of stealing. Like just the little bits. Like at the job, you just take like 10 bucks. You didn't take a thousand, that'd get caught. But you take 10 bucks and then 10 bucks next week and then 10 bucks the following week. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. There's so much. It's so rich right there. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Maybe the Holy Spirit speaking to you today. Maybe that word that's alive and active is, is penetrating some parts of your life today. Only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Another observation straight from that scripture is that ungodly living grieves the Spirit of God. Ungodly living grieves the Spirit of God of God. Verse 31, context, I'm imagining Paul write these things. I'm imagining God bringing these things to Paul. And how amazing is that God is bringing these things to us today. Verse 31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Put away along with all malice and it says in verse 32, instead be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The scriptures, alive and active. The motivation for us to live a Christian life the motivation for us to live this life that we've just been instructed to live is that Jesus came and lived the life that we couldn't. That he forgave us. So when we have received the forgiveness from Jesus and that becomes a reality in our life, it becomes the reality of Jesus' forgiveness in our life brings a responsibility for forgiveness in our lives. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying following the way of the Lord is always smooth sailing. But I am saying that it's instruction from the Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you loved us enough, that you love us enough to speak to us today. So God, today we've read your word. You've spoken to us. God, we've observed what the Bible says about you. We've learned different characteristics of who you are. God, we've also learned about people. We've learned about ourselves. And God, right now, would you reveal to us how we can apply this? So God, whatever you said, whatever you've spoken to us, God, we're prepared to take our next step and respond to it. God, for those who don't know you, I pray that 
they would surrender their lives to you. God, for those that are needing to make decisions to start doing things, to stop doing things, God, whatever it might be, God, we commit to living a life obedient to you, submitted to the word of God, and ultimately one that's good for us but glorifies you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you guys stand to your feet with me? We're going to sing just another moment of Christ be magnified, and I'd encourage you, if there's some action steps that you need to take through the word of God, to take those as we worship. Simply surrender certain things. Give those things up. Lay those things down. If you're in this room and you have a prayer request or a need in your life, uh, during this song, we're going to have our prayer team come to the front of the room, and you can find one of them up here, and we'll pray for you. But our prayer is this, that we would become a church of people that allow the word of God to transform the people that we are. So God, I pray that as we close our service today, God, with one more song of worship, that you would inhabit the praises of your people. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.